Earlier this week, Pastor Joel sent me this tweet. Um, it says, Expository preaching through the books of the Bible is the only acceptable form of preaching, unless you're doing a five solas reformation series, which is where we find ourselves this morning. Um, I'm pretty excited that we're doing this short series on the five solas um, and five reformers. I mean, last week, Pastor Joel looked at Sola Scriptura, and he looked at William Tyndale. This week, we'll be looking at John Knox and Sola Solus Christus. Next week, Martin Luther and Sola Fide with Jeff Mindler. And then I'll be back with John Calvin and Sola Gratia. And then Pastor Joel returns back from France, and we'll close the series with Sola Deo Gloria with Yorick Zwingli. Many are aware of my love of reformers. Martin Luther hangs on the wall in my office. We have a dog that's named Knox. I have a son named Calvin, even a daughter named Grace. We have another son who's, whose name is Spurgeon, although not a reformer, was certainly reformed and shaped by men like Calvin. I even drink out of glasses at home with Luther and Calvin and Knox and Spurgeon and Edwards and Owen on them. It's easy to be fatu- infatuated with these men. To, to listen to their stories, to, to read of their boldness, to marvel at their escapes from death, and, and even in some cases to stand utterly amazed at their bravery and con- commitment to the, to the gospel as they, as they gave their lives. This is why it's so great that we're just not speaking of these men, though, but we're, we're speaking about them with particular solace in mind. You see, it's God who receives the glory for the lives that these men and women lead and and the things that they accomplished. And it's, it's God who receives the glory as we think about the Reformation and its influence on the church today. Now, John Knox may not be as well known as Luther or Calvin, but he certainly has his place alongside these greats of the Reformation. And, and Knox is, is truly one of my favorite reformers. My goal this morning is for you to walk away with a brief introduction and, and maybe a, a new appreciation of John Knox. But my hope and my desire is that you leave this morning with a deeper understanding of the glory of God and His, and His work through the church throughout history. So I want to begin with the end. John Knox. There he is. Woo! John Knox looks a lot like John Calvin. It's easy to get him confused. John Knox has the longer beard. Calvin's beard is pointy. But this is a picture of John Knox. John Knox died in 1572, and as he laid in his bed sick and weak, he called for his wife to read him passages of Scripture. So she read to him, she read to him Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as he laid there, listening to his wife Margaret read to him, he asked, He asked for her to read to him his first anchor. John Knox referred to John 17 as his first anchor. Since you, God, 
have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you would know, that would you know the the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, John Knox loved John 17, clung to this verse. This verse, he would go back to this chapter, he would go back to time and time again. We use anchors to keep us from drifting, to keep us to where we are supposed to be. And John Knox used John 17 as his anchor. Throughout his life, he would refer back to it, keeping him from from drifting, keeping him from going along with the current that he knew wasn't right. Shortly after his wife finished reading to him, he, he sighed and said, Now it has come. John Knox lived a life that was fearless. He lived a life that that pointed to Christ and Christ alone. Even in his death, he was focused on Christ. Now let me share some small pieces, some small parts of his life. John Knox, early, young, John Knox. But this is a way better picture of John Knox. John Knox was born in a village outside Edinburgh. When John Knox was about 15, a man by the name of Patrick Hamilton, who had studied at at St. Andrew's University in Scotland, became attracted to the views of Martin Luther. Hamilton wrote a book and and became quickly condemned as as a heretic, and for a short time he went and lived in Germany. Oh, but his heart was for Scotland, and he returned back to Scotland, and he preached this, this new faith, this justification through faith. And in 1528, the archbishop, the archbishop of, of, of St. Andrew summoned Patrick, Henry, ha- Patrick Hamilton, saying that he wanted to debate him. However, it was just a trap, and Hamilton was, was quickly found guilty of heresy. Heresy trials normally took, took weeks, but Hamilton's trial took no more than 12 hours. His punishment was to die burning at the stake, and this process was so rushed that the wood they used was wet, and it took six hours for Hamilton to burn at the stake. It was said that the smoke of Patrick Hamilton had infected as many as it did that it blowed upon And that smoke blew over Knox as well. Knox eventually became an ordained priest from the University of St. Andrews, and and he was assigned not to a parish, but instead he he basically just spent his time doing paperwork. At this point, there's a, a marker where Patrick Henry was burned, and a plaque that reads, the initials on the pavement nearby mark the spot where Patrick Hamilton, member of the university, was burned at the stake on 29 February 1528 at the age of 24. On the continent, he had been greatly influenced by Martin Luther, and on his return to St. Andrews, he began to teach Lutheran doctrines. Having been tried and found guilty of heresy, he was condemned to death, thus becoming the first martyr of the Scottish Reformation. As, as Knox began to define his place doing paperwork in the church, there was another man, a man by the name of George 
wise heart. When Knox met Weishart, it was in 1545, and he was impressed by this tall, well-spoken young preacher. On a side note, had a really weird habit of taking a bath every night. I know, crazy. Weishart was, was the face and the voice of the Scottish, uh, the Scottish movement, this Protestant movement, this, this faction. And, and several times, George Weishart, he escaped death, murder plots coming to and fro, several of them coming from the Cardinal David Beaton. And because of the threats to his life, it was decided that he would move from place to place. John Knox became his bodyguard. Knox would carry around a large two-handed sword. Now, it's important to know, too, that canon law at this point did not allow priests to carry a weapon. But Knox was already disgusted with Rome and was committed to reforming Scotland, so carrying a sword was the least of his concerns. For weeks, they spent a different night in a different house to avoid being arrested. This band of of 50 or so armed Protestants wandered about, entering churches and preaching. I mean, it's hard to imagine they had no interference from the government as they were doing this. These group of men would just go into a church and begin to preach. But instead of the usual Latin Mass, the congregation would hear a fiery, hour-long sermon in their own language. Wiseheart pushed back against the ceremonies and the prayers of the saint, and, and he even introduced congregational singing. His followers helped to popularize a, the good and godly ballads, a collection of songs that, that were used to promote the, the Protestant cause. However, in 1546, knowing that his arrest was imminent, Wiseheart told Knox to leave him. Knox Knox pushed back. Knox wanted and was willing to die with Wiseheart. But Wiseheart said, one is sufficient for sacrifice. And just a few hours later, Wiseheart was arrested when 500 or so soldiers surrounded the town he was in. He surrendered peacefully and was condemned as a heretic, strangled and burned by the order of Cardinal Beaton. Now I want to pause just a moment, and highlight a little more of the death of George Wiseheart. See, on the morning of his death, two friars came and they dressed him in a black linen coat and they hung several bags of gunpowder around him. Now the gunpowder would help in the burning. See, they weren't really good at it and they wanted it to go quickly. But they also... It is written that that they wanted the cardinal to be able to see it from his balcony. They arrived at the the stake and a rope was put around his neck and a chain around his waist. And and George Wiseheart said, O thou Savior of the world, have mercy upon me. Father of heaven, I commend my spirit into thy holy hands. I beseech thee, Father of heaven, forgive them that have from ignorance or evil mind forged lies of me. I forgive them with all my heart. I beseech Christ to forgive them that have ignorantly condemned me. And he was fastened to the stake and set afire. It's important to note that the governor of the castle stood so near the flame 
as Wise Heart was burning, that he extorted the martyr. He wanted to be close to him. And he exhorted him, saying, Be of good cheer and ask God to pardon us for our offenses. The lives that were being changed by George Weishart, even at his death, the executioner, the man that set him ablaze, said, Sir, I pray that you forgive me, for I am not guilty of your death. Weishart said to him, Come hither to me. And as he came to him, Weishart kissed his cheek. And he said, Lo, there's a token that I forgive thee. This is the man that discipled Knox. This is the man that Knox walked with and learned from. And this is the example that Knox sees and carries with him. So George Weishart is martyred. And there's a mark for him as well where he had burned. A few days later, Weishart's death is avenged and the cardinal is murdered. And although Knox did not share in the murder of Beaton, he did share in the blame. He moved into the castle and began to teach the children of the rebels. And the rebel force, it grew to be about 200 men. And and the leaders of this force were, were impressed with Knox. There was a day when a Roman Catholic, he was debating in the chapel and he, and he spoke about the Roman Catholic Church as the spouse of Knox, or a spouse of Christ. Knox in, interrupted the speaker from the audience and said that Rome was no spouse but a harlot. He challenged the speaker to a debate and the speaker refused. The congregation insisted that Knox come the next week and share his views. Knox preached his first sermon that week. He chose Daniel chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. He called the Church of Rome the Antichrist. He cited the scandalous lives of some of the popes. And he preached that justification is by faith alone and that by no works of human righteousness. The response that Knox received of his sermon convinced him that he had God's call to preach. Although this was, this was short-lived, in a few months, in a few months, the castle was overtaken by the French. Twenty-one French galley ships attacked the castle, and Knox and, and many other men found themselves chained to the rowing benches on a French galley ship. 150 galley slaves rowed six to an oar, and the oars could be up to 50 feet long from, from the platform to the back wall. They were chained to the rowing bench 24 hours a day, seven days a week with little food, and many men did not survive this sort of torment. Knox was about 33 years old when he was captured and, and strapped to the oar, and he was in good health when he began. His health would would dwindle, and, and he was never the same after this. Two of the most often told episodes in the life of Knox come from these 19 months on this galley ship. During the, the voyage, a priest presented the slaves with a, with a painted image of the Virgin Mary to kiss. Knox begged 
to be excused, saying, Trouble me not, such an idol is a curse, and therefore I will not touch it. But that was not good enough for the priests, and they violently forced the icon into his hands and pushed it into his face. So Knox tossed it overboard. And he said, Let our lady now save herself. She is light enough. Let her learn to swim. (laughs) Apparently Knox was not aware that, that they would kill men on a galley ship and just throw them overboard. But he was fearless. He knew Christ and Christ alone. He wrote with relish that there were no more attempts to force them to submit to idolatry after that day. The other incident happened while they were anchored in sight of the spire of St. Andrews. It's where he preached his first sermon. His companions, they thought he was near to death, and, and a fellow slave asked him if he ever thought that he'd see the chapel again. He answered, by the grace of God, I will yet preach there again. Knox ended up getting his freedom 19 months later through the intervention of of King Edward VI. Now, Edward at the time was 10 years old. And Knox accepted a position as as chaplain in his court. The The young king had six preachers. And Knox was one of them. He served five years in the court of England until Edward died at the age of 15. And then came Mary. When Mary I, who unlike her brother Edward, wanted to see Catholicism in its full glory. Mary, who would later be known as Bloody Mary, engineered the deaths of 300 men and women who stood opposed to the Catholic Church. Knox was forced to exile. Make make note that it wasn't because he was afraid of Mary. He was pushed and encouraged to leave by his other brothers and sisters that wanted to see him move the church further. So he left. He spent ten years or so in voluntary exile, preaching in Germany, Switzerland, and France. While he was in Geneva, Knox began a friendship with John Calvin. And it became very beneficial for Knox. Oh, Knox loved Geneva. He preached there three times a week to an English congregation. He was able to study for long hours, including his study of Hebrew and Greek. He thrived. His his preaching improved. When when Knox would preach, he he prepared but, but never wrote a manuscript. He learned by, and he wrote and he preached by just writing notes in, in the margin of his Bible. Be thankful I use a manuscript. His preaching made a profound impact on those who heard him. In the, the opening of the text, he would, he would moderate the space of about a half an hour. But then when he reached the application, it is said that he made them tremble so much that they couldn't hold the pen to write. He wielded his power and even when he was weak. At one point he had to be helped into the church, lifted up to the pulpit, and lean. Oh. But when it came to his sermon, he was so active and vigorous, it was it was the, he almost beat the pulpit into pieces that would fly out. 
Knox was asked to return back to Scotland. But it was not about returning to make a name for himself. He was, he was looking to make Christ and Christ alone big. Knox said, I sought neither preeminence, glory, nor riches. My honor was that Jesus Christ should reign. This was his goal. This was his hope. And so as Knox prepared to leave Geneva to head back to Scotland, he published a tract. This, this, short, this short book was, was titled The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. Calvin tried to encourage him to not publish it, but Knox did anyway. Knox was concerned primarily about two women. Bloody Mary, who had done her utmost to bury the work in England, and Scotland's Mary of Guise, soon to give way to her daughter Mary, Queen of Scots. This book was, was so hated in Scotland and in England, the penalty of possessing a copy of the first blast of the trumpet or, or failing to destroy a copy that found its way into your hands was, was death. Knox arrived back in Scotland and Mary, Queen of Scots, and, and John Knox had a very difficult relationship to say the least. They had quite a few encounters with each other over a period of several years, and even one encounter ended with the queen herself crying. He was fearless. He was bold. When Mary, queen of Scots, became the monarch, she brought Knox to trial, laughing all the while. She said, do you know why, what I'm laughing at? She asked the nobles around her that the man that once made me weep I will see if I can make him weep. She could not. When she asked the nobles to render a verdict of him being a heretic, they, they acquitted him unanimously. Enraged, she demanded another vote, and the result was identical. John Knox was not only fearless and, and bold, he loved Christ above all things. And he knew that there was power in Christ and power in prayer. Mary, the Queen of Scots, she said, I fear, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Oh. Oh. John Knox lived a life that was fearless. After his death, it was said of him, here lies one who neither flattered nor feared any flesh. Living a life that embraces sola Christos is a life that is fearless. So what do you get as a reward for living a life in the way that John Knox did? John Knox was able to, to grow old. He was able to die in his home surrounded by friends and his wife. That's not how we remember Knox. This is now what is the marker for Knox. It's in a parking space in the church. Parking space 23. No statue, no monument, no big structure. It's, it's some stones in a parking lot, which would be exactly how John Knox would want to be remembered. So we're going to close our time this morning looking at Christ alone 
and these two questions. What are you listening to? And what are you saying? Christ alone simply means that only Christ can save. Nothing else can provide us with salvation. Salvation is accomplished and applied by Christ alone. It's that simple and it's that easy. Sometimes we make it difficult. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask that you open them up to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, Christ, of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace And the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We are all represented by someone. We're either represented by Adam or by Christ. If you are represented by Adam, you are condemned. If it is Christ, you are forgiven and seen righteous. Adam broke the covenant relationship and death came into the world. Jesus keeps the covenant, keeps the law, obeys them perfect, and the death of Christ was not because of sin like Adam. No, he died for our sins. Life is given to all who now believe. In Adam, we get what we deserve. In Christ, we get what we don't deserve. Christ alone accomplished and provided and applied our salvation. Salvation is in no one else. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, and that man is Christ Jesus. Christ alone. Whoever believes in the Son and has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in Christ and Christ alone will have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, it is offered to everyone. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me 
Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Christ is for everyone. But Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, except through me. He is for everyone. He is for whoever believes. But it is is the only way. There is no other way to the Father except through Christ and Christ alone. It is important. We think about it often. We are clear and quick to say it without any hesitation, that we love Jesus, we believe Jesus, we cling to Jesus, we hold to Jesus, we pray to Jesus. Oh, but how quickly we will drift away. Christ alone, nothing else, no other works, nothing but Christ. You see, this is, this is where we need to be aware of what we're listening to. What... What are you listening to? What are you using and what do you hear and what is filling your ears? Who and what are you reading? What are you taking in? As a child and even as a teenager, my parents would always tell me that sitting around and watching TV was going to rot my brain. I don't think it does. I don't think there's any real scientific evidence to prove that it rots my brain. but I do think another phrase they threw at me is pretty true. Junk in and junk out. It's easier to to monitor my children than myself in this regard. I mean, I'm an adult. I'm wise and savvy. And I know how to watch. And I know how to read. And I know how to listen without letting it affect me in any real way. How comfortable we've become by watching death and violence, watching sexual acts, being numb to offensive, even abusive language. Oh, but I'm an adult. The very things that we speak out about, we embrace for the sake of entertainment. Maybe we need to stop and pause and really honestly look at the junk that we're putting in. And then after you convince yourself that it's still okay, because you can handle it, stop and think about it some more. I mean, is all entertainment bad or evil? No. But how does that look? How does that look like when you say Christ alone? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joel was teaching from 1 Samuel and he And he spoke about how David was listening to his own voice and the danger of being the only voice you listen to. In our pursuit for for living a life that shines for Christ, we need to be aware that we like our voice. 
and we only like our voice. We're quick to to only hear our own words when we want to justify our sin, when we want to demonstrate our own power, our own pride. When we're telling ourselves junk, then junk is what's going to come out. Should we never listen to our own counsel? No. Sometimes it's important to to trust what the Spirit is leading and guiding and to, to be able to speak into the things that you're doing. But if it is the only counsel that you ever receive and you're not open to what God's Word says or the counsel you're receiving from brothers and sisters in Christ, then how does that look like in light of you declaring Christ alone? And then this idea of junk in and junk out comes to play in our churches. I mean, we see this throughout the Reformation, that these men and women stood tall and fearless as they opposed false teaching. There's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that have a lot of different messages. And there are certainly messages that are, that are complete heresy. But more often than not, churches are just filled with good things and helpful things and encouraging things and socially aware things. We like to package it. We like to package the things and make them cool. How awesome is that? Animated. The sermon series. I want to go listen to that. It's about the parables. Not sure how it connects Pixar and the parables, but it does. Oh, but Walking Dead. I think it's Jesus. I'm not sure. Or Lazarus. just slick. It's just clever. It's designed well. It's pretty. So maybe it's packaged well. Or maybe it's wrapped up in five ways to or six steps for. Are smoking lights bad? No. Are cool graphics bad? No. I spend a lot of time trying to make cool graphics. But the problem is, is, is when it becomes all packaging and no Jesus, Jesus alone, Christ alone, when it all shakes to the floor is the preaching, is the teaching about Christ and Christ alone. It's obvious that a church believes in solus Christos if it's preaching Christ. Do we constantly point to Christ? The things that that come from the pulpit at Grace Baptist Church in Millersville, does it point to Christ? Do the things being taught in the Sunday school classes, do they point to Christ? Does the student ministry point to Christ? Does Element 26 point to Christ? Does Awana point to Christ? These are the things that we need to be asking ourselves when we're choosing ministries, when we're choosing churches, and when we're choosing what to listen to. Does it point to Christ? There's only one message that truly saves, one message that truly transforms us, and one message that gives life, and that is Christ alone. More people. Most people are not drawn to crazy heresy. The world is not ending tomorrow that we know of. 
We didn't figure it out reading through the Bible. We didn't put numbers and dates together. We don't have a graph to put up that talks about the moon shape. We're not doing that. It's easy, it's easy to push away heresy. But make no mistake how dangerous preaching is, teaching is, when it doesn't say much about Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. I, I mean, I think there's a place for cool graphics and cool design and really slick production. There's a place for excellence. There's even a place for helpful steps and five ways to do things. But if we're so captivated in the packaging and never speak about Christ and Christ alone, then it is junk in and junk out. And this is exactly, this is exactly what John Knox and many of these other reformers were standing up and proclaiming and causing queens to cry and burning at the stake because it matters. Charles Spurgeon says this. Don't go where it's all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will nearly fill anyone's stomach nor feed the soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that really feeds your soul, and go often. Oh, can't argue with that. Brothers and sisters, we need to be fearless and bold when we look at what we're watching and what we read and what we listen to. We can't be afraid of, of missing out on what's popular or current. It's okay. It's okay to be different. We need to be fearless and bold when we look at, at, at what we're listening to. Is our voice the only voice we hear? Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. I will lie to myself. My counsel cannot be the only counsel I listen to. And we need to be fearless and bold when we look at what's being taught. We can't be afraid to, to push back against what, what we're being told is popular or even what's necessary if it's not about the gospel. And lastly, it brings us, not to that, it brings us to what are you saying? And really quickly, are we so filled with the gospel that the conversations that we have, are they saturated with Christ? Do we love Christ so much that, that we can't help but speak His name to those around you? What are you preaching? With the words that come out of your mouth and the life that you're living. I was listening to a sermon then, and, I, and, I, and I can't remember where I heard it or who was preaching it, but I remember that they were speaking about the changes of the things that we sing about. And they mentioned that the hymns of the 1500s were focused on God. It was God, right? A mighty fortress is our God. But... But by the time that we got to the, to the 1800s, it, it changed. It, it began to how we feel about God. And in the 20th century, it, it's drifted and shifted even more to just how we feel. We need to be fearless and bold as we speak of Christ. We need to be aware of the shift from God to feelings. This is where it's helpful. This is where it's smart to look back at the men and women who gave so much so that we could worship this way. Let us not forget that it is only through Christ and Christ alone. Close with this last quote from John Knox. Give me Christ or I cannot 
live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful and thankful uh, for our time this morning. We're thankful for your word and how it has shaped these men and women throughout history. Father, we're, we're thankful that we can open it up and, and read it, not just in our own language, Father, but, but many versions and many copies. And, and we thank you for the men and women who have gave their lives for that freedom, for that gift. And we think of these men, Father, that, that we talked about, Patrick Hamilton and George Weishart, Father, that, that gave their lives introducing this, this nation to this idea and this freedom of justification through faith. We thank you for the life of John Knox. We thank you for his boldness. We thank you for him being fearless. That he knew was right. That he knew what he was called to do. That he knew that it was in Christ that he needed to preach. And so he did. Father, would we too ever be tied to our anchor? That we would not drift and find ourselves apart from what you have called us to do and what your word tells us to do. May we embrace it with a full heart. Father, we, we know this is only possible through your Son, Christ alone. And we pray all this this morning in His name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.